Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. It's December 14th, 2018. I'm Charlie Sykes. And because it's Friday, we do our cross-platform conversations. And we are joined by the editor-in-chief of Politico, John Harris, today. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, glad to be with you. Well, you know, I, I made notes for our conversation today, and I just scrawled them on the back of an envelope. Uh, breakdown, shutdown, meltdown. And this made sense when I wrote them down, but now I'm thinking you, you could apply that to all sorts of different categories, couldn't you, all the things that were going on here. I want to start with, with, with something, you know, because we always ask this question, can things get any crazier? So can you just admit that, that the ultimate Christmas present would be Newt Gingrich as chief of staff to the president? I mean, wouldn't that be the <laughs> wildest thing ever? Well, we're long since past the point where you could say that could never happen. That would be crazy. That's inconceivable. Uh, we've been living in an era for the last uh, couple of years, arguably for longer than that, uh, in which um, lots of things that under the old conventions and the old rules would have been inconceivable. But in the modern world we live in are, are eminently conceivable. So whatever. Bring it on. Yeah. Chris Christie, Newt Gingrich. Uh, I heard somebody earlier today say, you know, if somebody would have said 30 years ago that reporters three decades later would still be calling up Newt Gingrich and Rudy Giuliani for political gossip, you would have thought you were crazy. But that's that is the world that we live in. So uh, on 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 the shutdown, um, let's, let's just go through a couple of things that are happening here. Uh, there, at least on the outside, looks like there's no way to avoid a shutdown. Um, the, the, the Oval Office show that was put on the, the Nancy Chuck and Donald show made that pretty clear. Where do you fall on the spectrum of who had the best uh, outcome from that meeting? Well, by conventional standards, I think you'd have to say that what seemed like a draw or possibly even, uh, uh, this is all a, a subjective matter, but at least by by my lights, uh, President Trump at the beginning of that exchange seemed reasonably commanding and, and, and somewhat reasonable, and and you might even say like that he was had the upper hand. Of course, it went on and on, probably too long for his uh, interests, uh, and what might have been a draw probably by conventional measures uh, was a defeat, him saying that, uh, look, I'm happy to own uh, the shutdown. The only thing I'd caution is in, in keeping with the, uh, our, our comment just a moment ago, the conventional rules don't mm -hmm. apply. And uh, if they did, <laughs> Trump would never be uh, president, uh, but they don't apply, and, and he is. And I suspect that uh, uh, maybe we need to put our, uh, our uh, different analytical lens on shutdowns. Uh, you know, back in the era when I covered the White House in the Clinton years, it was a huge and transformative moment. Uh, Bill Clinton revived his presidency because Republicans uh, miscalculated in giving him a shutdown. Is that still the case? I, I think there's less drama associated with these things. And I think President uh, Trump is confident and, and probably uh, uh, reasonably so. That his supporters, they're 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 happy to have one, and and the people who will be outraged by a shutdown are are Trump people anyway. So yeah, I'm not as, quite as much on the brink as a lot of people are on the the prospect of a shutdown. It might come, but I I don't know that the consequences of it are going to be as large as they were in earlier times. Well, what seems unclear to me though is what the exit strategy is. If both sides go in thinking. This is working for me. This is a good thing. And this was arguably Nancy Pelosi's one of her best weeks in, in politics in a very, very long career. I mean, she came out. Mm -hmm. She was kind of a rock star, uh, seems to have lined up the votes. Uh, 
very, very clear that that's what her party wants her to do to, to, to stand up. If Donald sure. Trump is making the calculation that, hey, you know, this is what got me here in the first place, the wall, shutting it down, this is fine. How do they back out of this? How do they, how do they, how do they unwind this at the end of the year or, or into the next Congress? Well, I do. Who, think who blinks? How President do they blink? Trump uh, thinks of his presidency uh, in a way this is said so often now. It's probably a, a cliche, but I think there's some truth in it that he does view his uh, his presidency as, like a television producer. And so uh, once the drama of one chapter is uh, is played out, uh, he'd find a way off the ledge. Uh, I don't think he um, uh, worries about, and I don't think it's his uh, supporters worry about uh, whether he's perfectly. Um, uh, intellectually consistent. You said you would never do this, or that you would do this. I mean, there's always a way off the brink if you want to. You know, and maybe that, be, that way yeah. off the brink will come just before a shutdown, or or the one will happen and it'll play out for a while. Or we just simply lose lose track of it, and uh, we will we'll have we'll have a podcast six months from now and saying, yeah, yeah. Do you remember that the government was has been shut down for the last six months and nobody's well, really do, noticed? I think you're really on to something, Charlie, because I do think <laughs> that's the uh, uh, from my vantage point, that's one of the big facts about uh, modern political life is that it comes with such velocity and the, the, uh, with such a flood of commentary that uh, we have trouble uh, remembering what we were up in arms about uh, 48 hours ago. And uh, um, I think it's, it's just very disorienting. And, uh, you know, today's uh, storm is, is, uh, uh, it recedes into the, the mists of memory. With with far greater velocity than it, you know, in an earlier era. I was going to actually ask you about that because it seems that that every Friday, I go through the experience of trying to remember. Oh my goodness, that was this week. That happened three days ago, and yeah, stories. I, I was that, indignant about something, but I can't remember exactly what. Okay, so this you have this too. It's like okay, I was really outraged. This was the this was going to be the game changer, and it was uh, okay. But it was Wednesday. It's now it's Friday. What was that again? So, in in, in terms I think of putting lots of people do maybe I would I would worry it's an infirmity of age, but I think it's uh, many people uh, many people have it, and I think it's uh, one of the challenges of uh, of sort of modern political culture, uh, because the problem with this is that. Uh, uh, it makes it hard to impose accountability if we don't, uh, as a as a political culture, with different actors in it, uh, government officials, the media. Uh, uh, if, if we can't keep sustained attention on something on what's important versus what's not, uh, then the, the the usual levers of accountability uh, they get weakened, in my view. So how do you handle that? You're the editor in chief of Politico. You are at the center of the storm. How do you avoid being eaten by the micro news cycles, or do you? Well, I don't know that we <laughs> succeed. Uh, what I do try to do, and measure myself as a journalist on this, and encourage other people to um, to do the same, is that you want to look back over a year and not just have a, a stack of clips, uh, to use the old phrase, or a, a you know mile high pile of. Uh, uh, of tweets and so forth, you want to have a body of work. Uh, you want to think, well, what are the big questions that were really important and what did I do to help illuminate those? It's just as uh, individual journalists could ask themselves that question. I think publications can ask themselves that question. Nobody succeeds in, in certainly in media or really in any endeavor of life. Nobody succeeds in completely setting one's own agenda. Uh, but uh, you don't have to. Uh, you won't have to completely succeed to avoid being completely buffeted uh, 
I was totally uh, uh, the, the, at the mercy of uh, events and other people's agenda. So what was the, what were the themes of 2018? Looking back from it, what, what is history going to say happened and didn't happen in 2018? I'm trying, I'm trying to think what I would answer that question. I can't, I don't know what I, mean, I would come I think, up with. Uh, uh, in the middle of the storm, it's always uh, hard to say what um, uh, history will conclude. Uh, uh, and of course, history is always an argument without end. But uh, I think some of these questions will depend on what happens in 2019. Yeah. Well, let me try this. Okay. Uh, that uh, uh, the sort of institutions uh, uh of accountability in our political culture. Uh, so those would include formal institutions, the courts, the, the Congress, uh, and uh, it would include non-governmental institutions uh, like news organizations, collectively the media. Of course, there is no capital T, capital mm-hmm. M, the media, but collectively we're, we're, we represent institutional power. Institutional power and institutional values were reasserting themselves. Uh, uh, in the face of, you know, very uh, fierce challenge uh, that the Trump era represents. Uh, you know, uh, uh, President Trump uh, uh, got elected because people, uh, a, 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 a strong group of people, really have lost faith in institutions, and they I- I admired and embraced his, uh, uh, his challenge to them, his middle finger uh, to a lot of institutions and institutional values. Uh, uh, and I would say those... Uh, uh, for good reason, people lost uh, uh, confidence in, in many of those institutions, including the media. But those institutions still have a, a fair amount of power left in them. Uh, uh, so the courts, uh, uh, the Trump administration is going to answer to the courts. Uh, we're going to see uh, if uh, a Democratic House, uh, how much sustained attention it can give uh, to the Trump administration. Is it effective in 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 uh, imposing accountability, I'd see on the, the point of view of the press. Uh, uh, yeah, there's a lot of uh, uh, sort of press behavior in this era of frenzies that I don't much admire, but cumulatively, uh, I think good work in uh, living up to uh, the media's obligation to shine a light on power and uh, try to uh, um, impose uh, some accountability on behalf of our audience. And so I think you're seeing institutions and institutional values. Uh, fight back. Uh, yeah, we'll the, have to the, look at 2019 to see uh, how effective that fight was. Yeah, this 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 certainly is. We're in the middle of a of a test of the resilience of those uh, institutions because, of course, they, they they've been challenged and they face challenges that they've never actually faced before, particularly in in terms of the media. I guess this is what I wrestle with is is whether or not uh, you know we will have this pendulum swinging back and the institutions will in fact uh, you know prove to be more durable um, and robust than than perhaps we we had feared or whether it's possible that that what we've had is this this dramatic undermining that that even though everything is still standing that there is a level of distrust an erosion of those democratic norms that is going to have a long term impact. And that we're not necessarily going to understand how how grave it was until a little bit later. You know, for example, I would argue that right now we're seeing some of the best journalism, investigative journalism, political journalism that we've ever seen in our lifetime. And yet we're also living at a time where that kind of journalism is less able to move the needle than it ever was before because of this, uh, you know, the, the tribalization and the creation of the alternative reality silos in society. And so we are in the middle of kind of that drama, aren't we? 
Well, I 100% agree with what she said that uh, uh, all the time uh, I see stories and, and really terrific inter- enterprise that in an earlier generation uh, would have been preoccupying subjects. Everybody would have followed them, and that's all we would have been talking about uh, for a period of time. And they kind of disappear in the noise machine. Um, uh, and uh, serious work uh, isn't really embraced as serious. It's discredited as, as biased by people who don't like the implications of this or that story. Um, so I, I think the, the, the New York the premise. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. I was going to the New York Times, you know, incredible story about the the uh, you know tr- Trump's approach to uh, tax evasion and possibly yeah, tax that's fraud, exactly and they just sort of the, just... Uh, uh, that's exactly the example I was mm-hmm. thinking of. And uh, there was a better part of a year, even two years of work, very conscientious, uh, and uh, uh, it, it captured our attention for forty eight, seventy two hours, maybe longer than that. But um, you know, here we are, a couple months later, and it, it I don't know that I really see the echo of it still. Uh, uh, I guess the only thing I would say is, first off, that this is, uh, you said maybe well, this will have a long-term effect. It already has. The, uh, President Trump and his election, I think, was a, a, a culmination uh, of decades-long um, uh, decline in the authority uh, uh, of institutions mm-hmm. and the respect that people have for those institutions. And for institutional ideals, um, you know, starting back in the, you know, Pew, I guess, or Gallup does these annual surveys, and, uh, Congress, the media, uh, the uh, big business, labor, the church, respect for institutions, and uh, they've all been on a steady uh, decline. Uh, uh, not all as bad as uh, the press uh, uh, or Congress, but almost all on a steady decline. In fact, the only one that's still above majority status. Is, uh, is uniform military. So this is not a new phenomenon. I, I think Trump is more of an expression of that than the cause. Um, uh, so the and, 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 yet, and, yet all, and yet he's also, the effect he's had, moving the window, the, you know, just watching Orrin Hatch this week, you know, a, a man who's mm-hmm. had such a, such a rather, you know, storied career saying that, you know, yeah, maybe, maybe he did actually commit felonies, but I don't care. And always like, well, well, that's you know, maybe we're numb to all of that, or, or you know, watching evangelical Christians watch this story unfolding of the president having affairs with porn stars and Playboy models and paying them hush money and all of this and shrugging their shoulders and say, we don't care. There was actually a piece that we had in the Weekly Standard from Jonathan Last, which was very counterintuitive, saying at one point, remember when uh, Omarosa, remember by the way, names we've forgotten, Omarosa was yeah. threatening to come up with tapes and suggested that maybe she had a tape of the president with the N-word. And Jonathan had a very interesting take. He said, please, God, please let there not be a tape of the president saying the N-word, because if there was, we would now watch so many Americans, maybe 40 percent of Americans say, yeah, we're OK with that. We don't care that we would find ourselves being forced to accept things that that really ought to think of as unacceptable. And that's really one of the things that Donald Trump has done to our political culture and certainly to my side of the political uh, aisle. Well, I agree, but I think that there's uh, uh, examples of that uh, across the, the partisan spectrum, across the ideological spectrum. Um, uh, I, I do perceive that the... Uh, rejection of the kind of institutional credibility and particularly as it applies to the uh, uh, the news media is is much stronger and mm-hmm. uh, more more vociferous at times even rabid uh, uh, on the right but um, 
I guess I would just say broadly, uh, like it's a, not a great or an attractive uh, way to go through life. So I don't think that it will continue uh, indefinitely. And uh, to your, you're an optimist. Yeah, so I've, 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 now a, dis- I've now discovered that you are an, you are an optimist. You have these, uh, you know. <laughs> I think it's a better you, way to go through life, and I actually think it's justified uh, in uh, kind of a, through a historical lens. Uh, that uh, the great strength of democracy is uh, its uh, capacity for uh, self-criticism and self-correction. Um, and uh, uh, Arthur Schlesinger uh, Jr., the historian, uh, he always said he's a short-term pessimist, but he was a long-term optimist. And I thought that was a nice uh, way of phrasing it, and I think that comes close to how I'd describe myself. Well, I'm, I'm kind of reaching for that. Um, on, 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 on shorter term, one of the course uh, questions that uh, people have been asking the last two years is, uh, you know, will Republicans in Congress ever break with the president? Will they stand up to the president? And of course, the answer has been pretty consistently no. However, even as uh, you know, we're speaking this week. The U.S. Senate is poised to uh, vote strongly to oppose the president's policy on Saudi Arabia and uh, uh, oppose our involvement in the in the war in in Yemen. Um, not likely to go through in the House of Representatives. But is this a sign of of, of new willingness to oppose the president, uh, or is this just a one-off? Do you think? Mm, it's a really good question, and it seems to me that. Uh, it's often uh, easier to take that uh, first step on um, on policy matters rather than a direct head-on political confrontation. You know, I I want to challenge uh, president of my own party and uh, mm-hmm. basically make attack an attack on his character or his, uh, his viability as as president. It's easier to at it at the margins, you know. Again, the the problems of Lyndon Johnson we're reaching way back here, um, but I think it's a it's a uh, not a bad example. It wasn't first before there was a head-on confrontation over Vietnam. Uh, uh, there was a more oblique one over the Dominican Republic and uh, Nixon. Uh, it was late in the day, right? People always say, "Oh, well, well that's you know? th- these days." Then. Uh, than before, because it was Barry Goldwater leading a delegation of, of Senate Republicans and telling Nixon his time was up. But that came late in the process. Very late in the process. Yeah, we shouldn't no. romanticize the uh, the past. Yeah, I was I was actually reading it. I've been reading a lot of accounts of impeachment. Uh, amazingly enough, um, and you go back and to to realize how strong some of that congressional support was for for Nixon right up until the smoking gun tape was was released. But also, it's it's. Uh, there's a, there was a congressman Wiggins, who you might remember, who was uh, very, you know, vociferously defending Nixon, and they invited him to the White House to show him the transcript of the so-called, you know, the, the, the so-called smoking gun tape, and he read it and realized it's all over, it's all done, and one of those few moments in American political history where someone just, you know, 180 totally changed their position based on facts, and one would like to be optimistic enough to think that that would happen that that would actually happen again. I'd like to uh, just uh, dial back to the the uh, the Oval Office meeting where they uh, with, uh, with with Pelosi, Schumer, and Trump. Trump apparently is telling people that there's a, a binary choice for Congress that they're either going to work together on bipartisan legislation or there's going to be presidential harassment. He doesn't see a middle ground there. He doesn't think 
that they'll be able to work. Obviously, there's a different position, opinion on that up on Capitol Hill. So what, what is your take on this? Is, is it either or? Because everybody knows it's going to be presidential harassment. Everybody knows there's going to be lots and lots of subpoenas and investigations and possibly impeachment. Can Congress and the president uh, walk and chew gum at the same time? Can they work on legislation like, for example, say infrastructure um, at, the, at the same time all of this is going on? Um, I don't see why not. Um, you know, I think politicians can be counted on pretty reliably to follow, uh, self-interest. And I mm-hmm. could easily see that it's in the self-interest of Democrats to work with, uh, President Trump on something they want. That's infrastructure spending would be mm-hmm. the most uh, obvious example as they were, uh, trying to, uh, grind him into the dirt, uh, on the, uh, on the legal front. I don't really see those as being uh, being incompatible. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't either. Of course, every, everything is contingent on the next tweet. So, by my count, I don't know what Politico's count is. Are, are we up to about fifty Democrats running for president in twenty twenty? <laughs> have we have we broken fifty? I, uh, they almost starting to feel like a swarm of mosquitoes or something it, like that. It, it, it does. I, I heard Bernie Sanders on earlier today, and he was certainly sounding like a, a candidate. So uh, as, as you're thinking of how the hell do you cover that many candidates, uh, do you have a short list? Do you have a hot list of, of the top uh, five Democrats as of now? I don't. I w- Just uh, before you called, uh, Charlie was talking with uh, one of our, our best uh, – Political reporters, he's Florida-based, Mark Caputo, and we were mm-hmm. uh, on this exact question. And uh, it seems to me that we don't yet know um, the two, three, I'd say at most four to watch. I, I, I just, I don't think our current political culture is any more capable than even in years past of uh, keeping too many people on the stage. Um, it's just the nature of, of uh, politics, the nature of the coverage of politics, that um, there's got to be a winnowing down. Uh, but there's not going to be a coronation, It's not obvious. You know, there's clearly not going to be a coronation, and it's not obvious to me who the people are. Uh, you don't have Beto fever? Winnowing down, other than clearly Biden would survive the winnowing down process. Uh, well. Um, but who the others are. But I think it is more obvious, like the kind of issues that are uh, – um, are going to uh, are, are are around which this is going to break. Uh, are we looking for somebody who can be in the arena, in in some sense has the same sense of uh, of theatricality and bombast of Trump to to try to fight him, or or, or is the going to be the judgment of more Democrats that you actually looking for somebody quite different in temperament and style? That's one question. The uh, the ideological, I'd say, slash stylistic question is one. Also, uh, um, no Democrat is going to run as a as a sort of a dove against President Trump. But there's a difference between sort of one extended middle finger versus two. Uh, and uh, you know, a lot of the left, I think, is really looking uh, not so much just a substantive opposition, but stylistic opposition. Uh, uh, we want to uh, like attack uh, this mm-hmm. this president's legitimacy in the in the fiercest, angriest way. And there's other people saying like, ah, like actually that's not a winning face to put before the electorate. We don't have to be Trump in order to beat Trump. That's one of those questions on which this is going to break. Uh, 
I think it's going to be fascinating to watch the different lanes. You know, you in order to survive that sifting and winnowing, you either have to be you have to be a billionaire or you have to be a celebrity or you have to be the grassroots heartthrob and then of course you have the various lanes of you know the progressive candidate versus the more you know uh, experienced candidate like joe biden and um this is one of those where anybody that claims that they really know i I think that they are and i do you expect to have any sort of a serious uh primary challenge to donald trump on the republican side john Kasich certainly sounding like he's running yeah. Um, I mean, you would think that there would be, um, and I guess you'd think under the current trends that it wouldn't go very far. Yeah. Um, but the thing about current trends is that they always change. Uh, so, yeah, I'm 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 kind of out of the prediction business, uh, having been routed pretty like most other people pretty uh, decisively with my predictions and. Well, we have com- we, we we have common ground. Would be, I'd ask you: like, mm-hmm. At what point do you, will we know the answer to that question uh, of a, a challenge from within the Republican Party? Is it uh, like how late could somebody get going and still be credible? Well, that's an interesting question because that answer changes every single time. I mean, every single you remember how late Bobby Kennedy got in in 1968. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not really possible these days. You know, if uh, if Donald Trump is polling 20 points behind uh, any generic Democrat, uh, does that change the dynamic? Do you start to see people who would never be there uh, if he if he were to stumble very, very badly early on? Would you have somebody come out of the woodwork and somebody, you know, I don't think that John Kasich is going to beat Donald Trump personally. This is my view of uh, in, in, in the primary. But if you soften him in, uh, up enough and then something and, and now I'm engaging in unicorn thing. A Nikki Haley were to step forward, uh, or you know, there would be there would be buzz. One doesn't know. It, it's really hard to make any judgment without knowing what's what's coming down the pike from the Mueller investigation. I mean, that's not going to shake mm-hmm. his hardcore base. But at some point, Democrats, I mean, Republicans are going to have to get out of their denial about the the electoral problem that was foreshadowed in 2018. I I, I know you've written about the the NRCC suggesting that, uh, no, Donald Trump didn't really hurt us that badly. It's like, guys, really, you need to, you know, you, you need to uh, get out of the world of delusion here before you get into 2020, because there were some serious warning signs there. Well, the collapse in the, the suburbs uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the generic vote uh, that uh, I mean, Republicans haven't won uh, uh, a majority of voters at the presidential election, um, except once uh, since 1988. That's a pretty serious. That's an extraordinary uh, that's number. A pretty serious problem. And, and yeah. if you count up all the Democratic votes in the 2018 elections, there's what, six million more than the Republicans. I think it would be folly to just pretend that these uh, well, and what would, don't have meaning. Well, and what makes, of course, this all so difficult to predict is uh, if, if there's going to be a, a primary challenge, will there be a third party? Is there any interest in a third party? Uh, how would that look? How would that, you know, would that help or hurt uh, Donald Trump? Uh, all of those things. And they're going to be discussed. And, you know, unfortunately, because the pattern of politics is so great, uh, we're actually having candidates announcing in this year, which 
you know, <laughs> at, at one time people would have thought, are you crazy to be announcing literally two years in advance? Well, uh, John, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it uh, very much. I hope we can keep uh, doing this. But then I hope for yeah, a lot I of things. Yeah, I look forward that's, to it. Yeah. I, I do hope for a unicorn for Christmas as well. But that's just that. that that's <laughs> they're, the, uh, uh, they're this year's hot item. Um, uh, we'll, we'll buy unicorns in bulk. Thank you for listening to the Daily, Span- uh, the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes.